Let's make some noise. Come on, celebrate that. Love it. Hey, can we make some noise for our dads one more time today? Let's give them love. Show them love, people. Show them love. We have some unbelievable dads who um, go to this church, just unbelievable. We've got dads who go to this church who show up every single Sunday and serve with their entire family since their kids were like in diapers. Uh, Mark Dervishian, I see you. Um, we've got dads who take their kids on these like special, unique dad-kid trips like Craig Melrose, you're amazing. Um, we've got dads who like love their kids way more than I do, like you, Harvey Bannister, you're like a Super dad, if you just wanna question whether or not you should be like allowed to be a parent, um, follow that dude on Facebook, okay? Like he loves his kids so much, I, I thought about asking him to adopt mine, all right? Like that dude loves his kids. Um, and then we've got ki uh, dads who clearly love Jesus way more than I do, like um, you, Kyle Liming. Uh, Kyle Liming, uh, y'all aren't ready for this. Kyle Liming has, he had three little girls, three daughters, and then he decided to adopt another daughter. Can you say estrogen overload? And then like, you gotta think, that dude's gotta pay for four weddings. And so we're gonna take up a love offering, connect team if you would, uh, no, nah, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. But um, we have some unbelievable dads in our church. And um, dads, I want you to know that you are character shapers. You are, um, man, you are amazing. And you are like quite possibly the most tangible picture to your kids of what their heavenly father is like. And so we see you today, we love you, and we honor you. Let's give it up for our dads one more time. Amazing. Man, being a dad of a little girl's got me all emotional. Like I ain't even started preaching yet and I'm emotional. So y'all ain't ready, y'all in trouble today. All right, today we start a part two of our series that we've been in called The Games That We Play. And uh, last week we said that if we're not careful, very quickly we can take the reality of Christianity and turn it into just another game that we play. We can find ourselves kind of playing games with God. We can find ourselves kind of picking up the controller of Jesus following and hitting pause when it's not convenient. We can find ourselves playing by house rules, like if there's something that Jesus has asked us to do and we don't like it, we just change the rules, play by house rules, do what we want. If we're not careful, very quickly, we can take this Jesus following a little bit more leisurely, a little bit more casually, a little bit more recreationally, and maybe not as seriously as he'd want for us to. And so what we're doing throughout this series is we're looking at the different areas of our life that we tend to play games with that Jesus is just a little bit more passionate about. And so last week, we looked at the games that we play with pride. And this week, we're gonna look at the games that we play with unforgiveness. And I want y'all to know, Jesus isn't playing games with unforgiveness. Check it out, Mark chapter 11, verse 26. This is what he says, verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And this scripture is so funny to me because it's like Jesus almost like loses his train of thought. He has one of those moments. Y'all ever seen the movie Up? Anybody ever seen the movie Up? The old guy, balloons, yep, angry, and then he's happy and then angry again. Um, well, in the movie, there's this dog named Doug and he's just like squirrel, squirrel. He just gets distracted. Jesus has a Doug the dog moment. He's like teaching on prayer and then he's like, whoa, time out. Like if any, he's like, when you stand praying, time out. If you have anything against anyone when you're praying, you better go forgive them. He's like, so if you're talking to God and you got unforgiveness in your heart, the game that you're playing with God is gonna be the quiet game, okay? Like God's just not gonna listen, not gonna talk to you. It seems as if Jesus is saying that like unforgiveness is gonna be this blocker of prayer. 
Like that's the reason that when Jesus teaches us to pray in the, um, the Lord's Prayer, he says, hey, Father, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. There's this assumption that before we would ever ask for forgiveness that we've already extended it to those who need it. So Jesus isn't playing games with forgiveness. It can get in the way of prayer, but he keeps on going. Um, next scripture, Matthew chapter five. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So one of the games that a lot of people play with Christianity, you've heard people play this game before, is they think that the church is just after people's money. You ever heard that before? You're like, man, the church is just after people's money. That's all that they want. Well, Jesus blows up the game that the church is only after people's money because he says, hey, if the offering basket's being passed and you got unforgiveness in your heart, just keep on passing it. Like, I don't want your money. He says that if you're playing games with unforgiveness, then it's like you drawing the go directly to jail card of Monopoly. Go directly to jail. Do not give the church $200. Go and ask for forgiveness. Be reconciled first. And he's playing for keeps and what he wants is your forgiveness. And he keeps on going. Next scripture. Luke chapter six, verse 37. Jesus says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I love that forgiveness is active. All the other ones are passive, right? Like don't judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned, but forgive and you will be forgiven. It's not this passive thing, it's something that we actively pursue. You see, one of the games that we play with forgiveness is we go, hey, I'd forgive if they'd ask for, if, if they'd apologize. If they say, I'm sorry, then I'd offer them some forgiveness. But Jesus is going, no, it's not this passive thing. It's not this thing that you wait for. It's this thing that you pursue and hunt down and seek out. And it's something that's active. And then he talks about measuring. And isn't measurement so important in games? Like when you're playing poker, don't you wanna know like the measurement of each chip? Don't you wanna understand their denomination? Like I don't wanna give you $100, not understand the measurement of the chips. You give me $10 worth of chips back, I'll still beat you. But like I wanna make sure I understand the right measurement when I'm playing the game and Jesus goes in the game of life, the measurement of forgiveness, how much forgiveness I will give you is directly connected to how much forgiveness you will give to others. The measurement for my forgiveness towards you is your forgiveness towards others. You don't believe me? Look at what he says in Matthew chapter six. He says this, he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Happy Father's Day, by the way. This is heavy. Like if we were to just like leave that scripture up there and look at it, take an honest self-evaluation, a lot of us would be in trouble because we've got unforgiveness in our hearts, which means that God's got unforgiveness in his towards us. Like when it comes to unforgiveness, it doesn't sound like Jesus is playing games. And like if I can be real with you guys, like there's no, there's no like caveat. There's no like let me open up the rules, like read it for you in the Greek, like let you off the hook, give you a get out of jail free card. Like it's as clear as day. That there's no games that he plays with unforgiveness. But if we're honest, like we sort of do. We have this tendency to kind of like act like forgiveness isn't that big of a deal, to kind of hold grudges, to kind of hold on to some frustration that somebody caused us, right? Like I wish, I don't know about you, but I wish that I could forgive as quick as little kids do, don't you? Like how quick can a little kid forgive somebody? 
just so quick. It's remarkable. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I've got a daughter, her name is Raleigh Ray, and uh, she's two and a half, and she was playing with her cousin Ellie, and she's six, and um, they were so adorable, they're like dressing up as princesses, like playing in their little kitchen, just melting daddy's heart, right? And so there I am, and I'm playing with them, and I'm, I'm having this like flash forward moment. Dads, you ever have this, this flash forward moment where I'm looking at my little two-year-old playing with a six-year-old, and I see her at six, and then I see her at like 16, and then 26, and I'm like weeping, they're braiding my beard, like, you know, just... That's hilarious. Them French braiding my beard. That's funny. All right. So I'm sitting there and it's this emotional moment and they're just having the time of their lives together, right? Everything's as grand as Candyland. And then all of a sudden, Ellie comes storming in the living room and she's hysterical. She's hot. She's like, she hit me. Raleigh hit me. And like, as Raleigh's dad, I'm like, well, girl, you probably deserved it, right? Like if, if she hit you, what did you do, right? No, I'm just kidding. I was like, oh, and so I, I look at Riley and I'm like, baby girl, did you, did you hit Ellie? And just with these big old crocodile tears, she looks at me and she just nods her head. I said, baby, why'd you do that? And she said, because she took my puppy. And I said, I knew it, girl. I knew you wronged her, you little devil, little demon child. No, I'm kidding. I was like, baby girl, baby girl, I'm so sorry. But like you can, we don't hit people under any circumstance. Like unless it's a boy who's trying to date you, then you kick him where it counts, right? But other than that, other than that, baby, like, we don't, we don't hit people. And she said, okay. And then I said, and Ellie, like, it's not nice to take things. Like, don't take things from people. And I said, hey, Riley, tell her, tell her that you're sorry. Ellie, tell her that you're sorry. Like, you guys need to forgive each other. And so Ellie says, you know, or Riley says, I'm sorry. And Ellie says, it's okay. And Ellie says, I forgive you. And then I say, Riley, say it back to Ellie. And Ellie says, I'm sorry. Or, or I'm sorry. Ellie says it to Riley. And Riley goes, I forgive you. She can't say her Fs yet. I forgive you, it's so cute. And then Ellie goes, you wanna go build blocks? And Raleigh goes, okay, let's do it. And they run off like princesses, right? It's like prancing pit fairies, like nothing ever happened. Like, don't you wish it was that easy for us? Like, just say sorry, okay, I'm sorry. And then forgiveness happens, but that's not the way that it happens. We've got this tendency to kind of carry around unforgiveness, to harbor hurt. Like, we're like a, like a running back in football, just holding on to that football of unforgiveness. I'm not gonna let it go, ain't nobody can have it. We love to obsess over every little offense, like the tiniest thing. Have you ever noticed how easily we get offended in our culture? Like, it's so easy. You get offended when somebody cuts you off in traffic. You act like you were like, you know, running the Daytona 500 or something, had somewhere to be. When we get offended sitting in traffic, we get offended at the grocery store. You're like mad because they ran out of Cheerios, like just angry, the end of the world, Right? Just the littlest things can tick us off and get under our skins. We get offended at how people talk to our kids. How dare you talk to my kid like that? We get offended when people talk to us like we're kids. Like, don't talk to me like that. We get offended when our spouse acts like they're a kid, you know? Like, there's all these things that offend us, get under our skin, drive us crazy, and frustrate us. And then all of a sudden, you're angry. You're having a bad day. You're like, oh, just the world is coming to an end. You, you show up, and your spouse is like, what's wrong? And you're like, they they're ran out of Cheerios, and you're angry. And the crazy thing about how offendable we are is that when you, what happens with offense is offense builds offense around you, where you isolate yourself from other people. You distance yourself in relationships. You miss out on moments because you allow these things to get under your skin and drive you crazy. Because unforgiveness, you got to hold on to it. You got to get justice. People did you wrong. But if we're honest, it's not just little things that we're holding on to unforgiveness for. There's big things, too. Like in this room, I can't even imagine the real pain that's been caused by real people, the real stories 
Like, I, I couldn't even wrap my mind around it, the ways that you have been wronged, the ways that you've been abandoned and abused and misused, the way that you've been tormented, the way that you've been treated, the way that you've been taken advantage of, misunderstood, overlooked, marginalized, the way that you've been gossiped about, lied to, cheated on, abandoned. I, can't, I couldn't even imagine the pain that's in the room right now. Like real pain that is with you to this day that like, man, as I'm talking about it right now, you feel it emotionally. You can recall every detail. You play it on your mind over and over and over again. It is the subject of every counseling session. There is real pain that is present today, real wrong that's been done. And so let me ask you, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? And is it a pastor? Is it a coach? Is it a teacher? Is it a friend? Is it a sibling? Is it a mom? Is it a business partner? Is it an employer? Is it your dad? I mean, can we just talk about it on Father's Day? How do we forgive dad? when he never showed you any affection or attention? How do we forgive dad when he was demeaning and demanding? How do we forgive dad when we were the son that he never wanted or the daughter that just didn't fit in his mold? How do we do that on this Father's Day? And if we're honest, we've got this forgiveness that we carry around that feels impossible to shake, but what you've gotta know is that if you're carrying around forgiveness, that, that, that unforgiveness, then unforgiveness is gonna have kids. Did you know that? that you carry unforgiveness in your heart and that unforgiveness has kids. It's got kids of bitterness, resentment, anger, depression, isolation. It's, it's coming in your heart because unforgiveness is toxic. And when you take a toxin and you put it down, you put it under the surface, it's gonna come to the top. It's gonna come to the top. And so like if you're pushing unforgiveness down, I want you to know it's gonna push you to your limit. It's gonna take you for all that you've got. Have you ever wondered why you expend all your emotional energy to try to hold someone hostage that you haven't talked to in 10 years? How crazy is that? You're it's pushing you to your limit. You're spending all your emotional energy to try to hold this person hostage that you haven't talked to in 10 years. And the crazy thing about unforgiveness is that it absolutely creates a prisoner, but that prisoner is you. You're the one who's in prison. You're the one who's being held back. You're the one who's not experiencing everything that God wants for you. You're the one who's angry and who's resentful and who's bitter and who's missing out. You know, a lot of the pain that you're experiencing right now in your current relationship has actually has, actually has nothing to do with your current relationship, but everything to do with your previous one. Pain that you didn't dealt with. Unforgiveness that still exists. And so you're bringing up all these problems with him, with how he walks and how he talks and what he does with the toothpaste. But that's really about what you never dealt with in your past. And you know who's gonna have to pay for that? Whoever you're with today. This is the way that unforgiveness works. There, um, uh, people who carry around unforgiveness, they become bitter and bitter people are like archeologists. They love to dig up the past, love to bring the past up all the time. They're just trapped in the past, stuck in the past. You wonder why you're hard hearted, why you're cold hearted, why you're closed off to new things, why you've got this bitterness in your heart. Is it possible? because you've been carrying around unforgiveness. We gotta stop playing games with unforgiveness. You know, Peter, the apostle Peter, he tried to play games with unforgiveness. He talked to Jesus about it over in Matthew chapter 18. Look at what he says. He says, then Peter came up and said to him, being Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. 
times. And so this is what Peter does is Peter comes up to Jesus and he thinks that forgiveness is a numbers game, right? He thinks that it's like, you know, that Sudoku, that nerd game with the numbers. Like, how do I make it work, right? How, how does forgiveness work? And, and, and he goes, okay, so is it seven times? Do I got to forgive him seven times? In the Jewish law, they were taught that they had to forgive three times. And so Peter, trying to be a teacher's pet, trying to be a suck up, trying to get on Jesus' good side, takes the number that he knows he's supposed to forgive, times it by two, and then adds one. So he thinks he's crushing the game. He thinks he's about to dominate this question. Like, Jesus, I know that it's like, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, fool me three times, cut your head off, right? Like, I know. So is it seven times? Is that enough? Seven, that's a lot of forgiveness, right? If I forgive them seven times, and Jesus, Jesus says, still your ethic of forgiveness falls so short of mine. He says, I, I, know, I don't say seven times, but seven, 70 times, or seven times 70. And so all you math in the room, you're like, all right, 490. So I forgive them 490 times. And, and that's good because I've been like keeping this tally of my spouse and she's getting close. She's like 370. And so at 491, off with her head, right? Just, no, no, no. What Jesus is trying to teach is that it's not a numbers game. What he's trying to teach us about forgiveness is that if you're counting, you haven't forgiven. Forgiveness is immeasurable, it's innumerable, it's illogical, it's got no limit. Jesus is trying to expand our ethic of forgiveness to know that it has no end. And so to try to illustrate this, Jesus tells a story. And he tells this story to try to outline the, the rules of the game of forgiveness. Look at what he says. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So when you read the scriptures, you're gonna see this kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God or kingdom, and that's this new world order that Jesus has come to establish. And so when you see that, what he's talking about is this life, this game that now we who are new creations, who are disciples, who are followers of Jesus live in. We don't live the same way that the world lives. We live in this kingdom. And Jesus says, the way that forgiveness works in my kingdom for my people in the game that I'm playing is like this. He says that there was a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, when you see that word servants, I want for you to think like hired hands, like day laborers. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So 10,000 talents. Talents. Now, when they would have heard this story, they would have known that Jesus was being exaggerant, illogical, and ridiculous. Because 10,000 talents would have been the equivalent to 200,000 years of a day laborer's wages. 200,000 years. Most scholars would estimate that it would be somewhere in the vicinity of $20 million. $20 million. The average day laborer got paid one talent every 10 to 15 years. And so, his ability to pay off this debt is impossible. It cannot happen. He is in debt up to his eyeballs. He is over his head. His only hope of being able to pay off this debt is the Powerball, right? That's his only hope. Or like the Jewish version, the Power Boulder, right? Like that's his only, guys, it's Father's Day. I had to make a dad joke, right? Power Boulder, right? That's his only option. He can't pay it, doesn't have the money. He can't like rearrange his stock portfolio, move it into camels, shift it to, like, no. It's not gonna happen. He can't pay it off. The debt's too big. The cost is too high. It's too much. 
and what it costs him, it doesn't just affect him. This is a great principle that our sin, our decisions, they don't just affect us, but they affect our family. There's this real reality called generational sin where you see because of his debt, not only does he have to be sold, but his wife and his children have to be sold too. And so you wonder why your father was this way and you're this way and now you see your son becoming this way, right? You're like, I'm never gonna be like my dad. I'm never gonna parent like him. But then all of a sudden you're like, why am I just like him? It's because our kids end up paying for the sins that we committed affects those around us. And so this dude is just in debt up to his eyeballs. And so watch what the master does. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees. This is the posture of anybody who's in need of forgiveness imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity or a better word, there would be compassion for him. The master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. I love that it's out of this compassion that compassion moves this king to action. You see, so often we play the game of acting like forgiveness is an enablement issue or a logical issue or an entitlement issue. But really, it's a love issue. How deeply you love is directly connected to how deeply you will be able to forgive. Jesus says, he who loves much forgives much. And the master, the king's got this crazy love for this servant. And so he forgives his debt and releases him, lets him go, sends him on his way, doesn't try to hold him hostage. And so he doesn't get held hostage. It's this amazing forgiveness, over-the-top forgiveness. And then watch how the servant responds. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. A 100 denarii, that's like lunch money, people. Trump change. It's like nothing in this context. Maybe $20, maybe $20,000, but compared to $20 million, it's nothing in this context. It's chump change. You got it in your pocket right now. A 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Now, in um, the Jewish context, first century Jewish context, choking somebody is this like sign of violence, okay? Guys, that's a joke. Choking someone's a sign of violence in every culture, <laughs> right? And so he's like violently, aggressively pursuing this guy. Like, he's going straight Jerry Maguire on him. Show me the money. Where's my money? Pay, you, pay me what you owe me. Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Exact same posture that he had. Have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went away and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. This is crazy. Verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported back to their master all that had taken place. And there's a super important spiritual principle that I don't want you to miss here. And it's that people are always watching you. People are always watching you. The outside world is looking in on our ethic of forgiveness and making a judgment about who we are and who God is. People are watching the way that we extend forgiveness to each other, watching the way that we extend forgiveness to our kids, watching the way that we show grace to those who aren't like us. And they're making a judgment about God. People are always watching they're always watching. And the last thing that I ever wanna be said about me is for somebody to get to heaven and go, hey, Jesus, I loved you, I loved your teaching, but I hated your followers, hated them. People are always watching and making a judgment about who God is. So these servants, they tell the master, and then the master summons this guy, and he says to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33, 
And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I love that it's from your heart. I love that it's not this like pseudo forgiveness or this I guess I will because I have to forgiveness, this obligatory forgiveness, but it's this heart level, emotionally connected in my soul kind of forgiveness. And if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, then your father was not gonna forgive you. What Jesus is trying to teach us in this story is that we owe him $20 million. Do you know that you owe Jesus $20 million and that you can't pay? Like you're in debt up to your eyeballs. And I know that people have wronged you and hurt you and they may owe you 20,000, but you owe Jesus 20 million. And yet we have been forgiven a fortune and will not extend forgiveness to those around us. This is crazy. And Jesus is trying to say forgiven people should forgive people. When you understand how deeply you've been forgiven, your only response to that is to offer forgiveness like crazy. Now, let me tell you what forgiveness isn't, okay? Because I don't want you to jump to conclusions and hear me saying something that I'm not saying. <clears throat> let me tell you what forgiveness absolutely isn't this morning, okay? Because it's important for us to understand. Forgiveness isn't an apology, okay? Forgiveness isn't just saying I'm sorry. It's so much more than words. Now, here's the reality is that it often involves words, but just because you said you're sorry doesn't mean that forgiveness actually happened. Forgiveness isn't just an apology. It's not forgetting. You ever heard that phrase, forgive and forget? Well, if you've lived like longer than an eight-year-old, you know that's impossible. Like you can't forget. Like I want you to try to forget something right now. What are you thinking about? That thing. <clears throat> It's impossible for us to forget. Now, here's what you need to know is that scriptures say that Jesus takes our sin and that he moves it as far as the east is from the west, that he casts it into a lake of forgetfulness, puts up a no fishing sign and never goes there again, right? He forgets it. But newsflash, you're not God. You can't forget. You don't have the capability of forgetting. And one of the things that the assumption that we should forget creates is it undermines how radical the relationship that Christians should have with each other. Like what does it say about how much we love and who we are when we can remember the wrong that's been to, done to us and love people anyways? That's grace. That's amazing forgiveness. And it makes this statement to the outside world. So it's not just forgetting. It's also not okay. It's not okay. You ever seen those people who are just like, man, they get wrong. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. I forgive you. It's okay. Just let themselves be a doormat to walk all over. It's okay. No, it's not okay. You got really hurt and it was really wrong and you've got real pain and real agony and real wounds in your heart and it's not okay. And I want for you to know that it was so not okay that Jesus died for the sin that was committed against you and him dying was not okay, which means that your pain's not okay. Forgiveness is not just saying it's okay. It's not that. It's not staying in a harmful situation either. Some people begin to believe that, oh man, I just gotta forgive people and so I'll stay in this situation where I'm getting hurt and abused and mistreated. No, no, no. Now you are called to have this crazy, like unimaginable forgiveness towards that person, but that doesn't mean you gotta stay with them. Forgiveness is not 
allowing yourself to stay in a harmful situation. That's not what it is. It's not, it's not an option. I can tell you that. It's not like a suggestion. It's not if you get around to it, it's a command. And, it, and it's, it's not easy, it's not a one-time event, it's not a formality, and it's not something you can do by yourself. In your own power, in your own humanity, in your own strength, you can't do it. You're gonna need the Holy Spirit to create a heart in you that offers forgiveness to others. Now, let me tell you what it is. Let me tell you what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a canceling of debt. It's a canceling of debt. It's saying, <clears throat> what you owe me, you no longer owe me. What I used to hold over your head, I don't hold over your head any longer. And so you know you haven't forgiven somebody if you're still holding over their head. If you're bringing up past mistakes, 20 years ago, I remember when you did this, when you blah, blah, blah. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is canceling the debt. I don't bring it up in every conversation. I don't treat you as if you still have done that thing. I cancel the debt. You don't owe me anything else. You don't have to work to earn my love. You don't have to make up for that wrong that you've committed. If, if you're putting him on this spin cycle where he's having to earn back your love because of what he did way back in the past, you have not forgiven him. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is a canceling of debt where you don't bring it back up. It's genuinely wanting good for a person like genuinely wanting good for a person. Like if you can see somebody who's wronged you and you want good for them now, like maybe you've forgiven them. I can tell you this, that if like you see an ex on Facebook and they gave 20 pounds and you're pumped about it, you ain't forgiven them. Like if your ex gets in a car accident and you're like, yes, that's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. It's genuinely wanting good for somebody. And if you can bless the person who's hurt you, that's when you know that you can, you've really forgiven them. When somebody who's done wrong for you, you're willing to go out of your way to do good for them, man, you're on the pathway towards forgiveness. It's blessing somebody. It's leaving justice to God where you're not out for revenge. Like where if you could, you could take advantage of that person, you could hurt them, you could give them what they deserve and you choose not to, maybe you've actually forgiven. It's something that happens quickly and repeatedly. Something that happens quickly and repeatedly you see, um, one of the things that we do is we hold on to unforgiveness forever. Like some, some of you guys, like literally for months, years, this thing that you've been holding on to. And here's what the scriptures say. The scripture says that if you hold on to unforgiveness, it becomes bitterness. And bitterness, the enemy, he will use that as a foothold to trap you, right? If you just, if you let it, the sun go down on your anger, the sun go down on your unforgiveness, and you wake up the next morning, the enemy's gonna take, use that as a foothold to take advantage of you. And so if that's what he can do in one morning, what do you think he can do with 20 years of unforgiveness? How trapped do you think you might be this morning? in this game that you're playing with unforgiveness. It happens quickly and repeatedly over and over and over again. It's seeing the sin as something that somebody did, not who they are. Forgiveness means that God doesn't define me by my biggest mistake and I don't define people by theirs. It's costly. Like when you forgive someone, you've gotta swallow your pride. You've gotta take it on yourself. It exposes you, it leaves you vulnerable, it is honest, and it is heartfelt. Forgiveness is real. And so how do we do this? How do we become forgiven people who are a people of forgiveness? How do we offer real, life-giving, transformational forgiveness? How do we do this? The only way is to understand how deeply we've been forgiven. Ephesians chapter four, verse 32 says this, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
one of the games that we play is we act like we've been wronged, that people have wronged us more than we've wronged God. As if the sins that have committed, been committed against us are worse than the sins that we have committed against him. And it's illogical. Like you need to know, like one of the only ways that you're gonna become a person of forgiveness is when you understand how deeply you've sinned and how deeply God has forgiven you. You know that you came out the womb sinning? Came out the womb sinning. You've been sinning since day one. Ain't nobody taught you to say mine and steal something from somebody? Did your parents teach you to bite? Ah, no. You learned that all on your own. You've been sinning since day one. And what you've been doing is you've been racking up this mountain of moral debt against God. Mountain of moral debt. David says this in the Psalms. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. All your sin, all your uh, wrongs towards other people are ultimately attack on God's character. So every time you've done something to your spouse, to your neighbor, to your friend, to your brother, that's actually done against God, against his design. That's belittling his name. And you've racked up this mountain of debt, mountain of moral debt, and you can't pay. You don't have what it takes to pay. You can't earn it. You, you, you don't have an account. You, you can't put it on your tab. There is nothing that you can do to pay. We need to understand how deeply sinful we are. Like you've been racking up this debt your whole life. When I was in about the fifth grade, um, a couple of friends and I were playing outside and um, we, uh, we were playing with the water hose and we couldn't afford like a tarp to make a slip and slide. So we were just turning the ground into a slip and slide, right? Um, we're having a fun water day and we couldn't, we didn't have a sprinkler. So our sprinkler was like where you take your thumb and you put it on the hose and sprinkler, right? That's, that's how we were rolling and we were having the time of our life, so much fun. And I had this brilliant idea. I said, hey guys, let's turn my backyard into a swimming pool. And so... What we did is we took the hose and we just left it on all night long, all night long. And, and sure enough, we came the next day and my backyard was a swamp, okay? Just a big swamp, muddy everywhere. And so my dad was furious. He was angry with me and frustrated. And, but I didn't really feel the weight of it until a couple of weeks later when he got the water bill. And he got the water bill and he slid it across the kitchen table in front of me and that water bill was $1,500. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in the fifth grade, I didn't have $1,500. And so I couldn't pay. I'd racked up this debt that I could not pay. And so my dad said, hey, I know you can't pay. As your father, I'm gonna pay this debt for you. We've been racking up this mountain of debt our whole life and our Father, our Heavenly Father forgives us a, a, a price that we could never pay on our own. He forgives us completely and entirely all your past sins forgiven, all your future sins forgiven. How could we hold other people hostage to unforgiveness? When we have been forgiven this much, how could we keep people in debt? And, and I know what you're thinking. You're going, Joe, you don't know what they've done to me. You're right, I don't. But I know what we did to Jesus. I know how we wronged him. I know how we mocked him, betrayed him. I know how we denied him three times. I know how we brutally nailed him to a cross, put a crown of thorns on his head and called him names. I know how we were nowhere to be found in his time of deepest need. I know how the only innocent, the only holy, the only good, the only sovereign was executed on a cross, forced to suffocate on his own blood. You know, he would have been justified in his unforgiveness. 
He would have been so justified to, to go, do you see this, God? Do you see what they're doing to me? Do you see how they've wronged me? Do you see they don't love us? They don't want us? They don't need us? But that's not what he says. Do you know what he says? He says this, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He doesn't wait. He doesn't let it get 10 years down the road. In the midst of the shame, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the sin, he offers forgiveness. How could we still harbor hate in our hearts when we got the love of Jesus that's coming towards us? How could we hold on to it? One of my favorite pictures is that Jesus on the cross says that he could have called down 12 legions of angels to rescue him. He would have been justified to bring justice, to get revenge, but he doesn't. He sits there and he takes it. He drinks every last drop and he offers forgiveness to us. And so how could we ever continue to hold people hostage? People who've been forgiven much, man, they forgive much. And so who do you need to forgive today? What phone call do you need to make? What letter do you need to write? What coffee date do you need to schedule? What airplane do you need to get on? On this Father's Day, there are some of you who've got this unforgiveness in your heart towards your father, and I want for you to know that you're trapped, you're in prison, and the greatest gift you could give him and yourself today is to let forgiveness be extended. Real, radical, emotional, heartfelt forgiveness. I know that it's hard. I don't wanna diminish the pain. I know that it's real, but forgiveness is better. Forgiveness is what we're called to. Could we be the kind of people that make this illogical statement with our lives that we're willing to forgive anything and everything, anyone and everyone, no matter what, because of how deeply our God, our King has forgiven us. We are in debt, $20 million. Don't let somebody who owes you 20 hold you hostage. We're gonna close out today by singing a song that paints a picture for us of how deeply we owe God, but how much he loved us. And as we do, man, I just want you to think, man, who do you need to forgive? And I want for you to think about how much you've been forgiven. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for the goodness of your grace. Thank you that you forgive us more than we could imagine. God, I pray that today is the day that we stop being held hostage to unforgiveness. I pray that today is the day that we deal with it, that we make the phone call, have the hard conversation, make the long walk so that healing can take place. I wanna see families restored because of forgiveness, marriages restored because of forgiveness. I want Father's Day to be different this year because of forgiveness. And so God, help us to see how much you've forgiven us, how freely you've forgiven us, and let us offer that same forgiveness to those around you. We ask it in your beautiful name, and all God's people said, amen.